We're continuing now to examine the early part of his ministry. So looking this morning at Luke 5, beginning at verse 12, read along with me. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray. Father God, we are your people, and we gather in your name to hear your holy word. Our desire now is only that you would speak, that by the power of your spirit you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand and grasp your truth, hearts to be drawn to Jesus in a deeper love and greater adoration so that we may be instruments of your glory in all things. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You know, as we are in this season of COVID-19, we are all very familiar with the subject of quarantine, aren't we? Especially in in the early days of this pandemic, when we were all told that we couldn't meet for church, that we couldn't go to our places of work, that we all had to shelter in place at our homes, it was a very trying time. And I dare say we got a very small taste of what a leper experienced in first century Israel. Only imagine with me, you weren't just quarantined away from your job. You weren't just quarantined away from your uh, uh, church. You weren't just quarantined away from your other activities and pursuits. Imagine literally not even able to be able to be in your home with your loved ones, with your family, with your children. 
Imagine not even be able, being able to be in your city, but being cast outside, if you will, put outside the gates, put outside the city limits, where the only people you could have fellowship with were the other people who shared your disease. Now we begin to understand what it was like to have leprosy in the first century. Of course, leprosy is known today as Hansen's disease. We know it's, it's a disease that the nerves of your body basically begin to die, and your, particularly your outer limbs and your skin begin to suffer the effects of having no pain response. Imagine if you touched a hot pan and did not feel the heat and pulled your hand away. Imagine stepping on, on something sharp and having no pain and, and suddenly that thing remains in your foot and you don't even know it's there and it gets infected and pretty soon your body begins to deteriorate because you have no, no nerves telling you you are in pain. Lepers in that situation faced an, an incredible, an incredible sense of being outcast in the midst of Jewish society. And yet, in the eyes of Christ, they were precious and welcomed in his presence. We are in the early public ministry of Jesus Christ, and we see already that news of his miracles and teachings have spread throughout Israel. People are flocking to him for healings and to see signs and to hear his teaching. We see this morning, and we would expect that the religious authorities are also now taking a great interest in Jesus. They are trying to discern exactly who this young upstart is and how they should respond in light of his popularity with the people. But as we look at these particular miracles today, as we see his temporal miracles, in the midst of what we read here in the passage before us this morning, we are going to see the greater revelation of his eternal miracle, and that is the granting of forgiveness. So let's walk through the text this morning. Let's consider first the compassion of Christ to the untouchables. The compassion of Christ to the untouchables. In these first five verses of our text, we see Luke's first example of how Jesus went completely against Jewish social norms to demonstrate the compassion of God to those in need. And we first want to notice the boldness of this leper. Verse 12 tells us that Jesus was in one of the cities. And so this leper went into a very populated area when he heard that Jesus was there. Now, according to Jewish law, whenever a leper went into a city, went into a village, went into a town, they had to announce themselves by saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. Everywhere they went, so the people would know to make a wide path for them and to stay far away from them. This verse tells us that this particular man, too, was full of leprosy. That is Luke's way of telling us that he had a very advanced case of leprosy. This means that this particular man could have been very badly disfigured. He could have smelled rotten as infection set in on his flesh. He could have even been missing fingers and toes and maybe even his hands as parts of his body rotted away due to the leprosy. So this leper was bold to go into a very populated area seeking Jesus. And when he finally found him, it says here, look at the text, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
This man prostrated himself on the ground in front of Jesus, which is a position of worship, and he also called him Lord. We can only speculate the degree to which he understood Jesus as Lord, but it seems he at least believed that Jesus was of God and could genuinely heal him. And this is reflected in his request. His words express a simple, strong acknowledgement of faith. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And that in itself is, is, a, is an amazing statement. We would think that he would have gone before Jesus and said something like, Lord, please heal me. But instead of focusing solely on his own need, he was first and foremost focused on Jesus. He had utter confidence in Christ's ability to heal him of his wretched disease, and yet he also had a real sense of reverence and humility to acknowledge that he would only be healed if Christ willed it. The other important thing that he understands is that more than just physical healing, he needs to be made clean. We're speculating here again, but based on his language, there seems to be that this leper had a deep awareness of his sin. And it makes sense when we think about the Jewish understanding of this kind of sickness. When someone was blind or a leper or, or had some other severe physical paralysis, the Jewish understanding was that person was sick or had that malady because of their sin. Either they sinned in some great way or their parents sinned in some way so that they were struck with whatever de devastating disease that they had. That was the normal Jewish thinking. And so perhaps this man, being raised in that environment, thought, realized, it was not just physical healing that he needed, it was spiritual cleansing that somehow According to what he had been taught, he had done something wrong. How Jesus responded to him is just as important as the healing itself. You see, in Jewish society, they avoided lepers for two reasons. Number one, they thought that leprosy was, was, could be physically communicated, that it, was, uh, that it could spread. But also, according to the Jewish law, leprosy represented a ceremonial contamination. So in terms of physical contamination, they knew so little about the disease of leprosy and they were so fearful of its deadly effects that they took no chances and they avoided it by not being near it altogether. And in terms of ceremonial contamination, Leviticus 13 and 14 set forth strict quarantine regulations for unclean persons. And Leviticus 5.3 states that anyone who has even a contact with that unclean person is himself considered ceremonially unclean. So in Jewish society, touching a leper was a horrific religious and social offense. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus could have healed the man simply with a word. He had done that many times. But Luke is emphasizing the fact that Jesus touched the leper. It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. There in the presence of the throng that was following him, Jesus wanted them to see how the Lord responds to those who are contaminated with disease and sin. And as he did so, he said, I will. In other words, I will to do this. I do desire to do this for you. Be clean. 
what Jesus gives us here, brothers and sisters, is a lesson in compassion as much as a demonstration of his power. He showed the people that even a dreaded leper who came in faith could be embraced in God's presence. And look at how it happened. Purification of the leper's body took place immediately. Jesus touched him and spoke to him. And think of how quick the change happened. The smell of rotting flesh disappeared. The oozing sores and the black scaly skin of infection vanished. His voice became clear. He stood upright and straightened. He had healthy arms and legs. His hair was restored. His face and eyes now gleamed with vitality and thankfulness. What the leper sought in faith and reverence was now granted to him beyond his wildest dreams. No longer would he have to be separated from his family and loved ones. No longer would he have to yell unclean whenever he went near a town or a gathering of people. No longer would he be treated like a detestable dog by his own countrymen. He could once again go to the temple in the synagogue to worship. He could once again hug and hold his mother or his wife or his children. He could once again work and provide as a man is meant to live. And so, brothers in Jesus, what we see is that Jesus did not just give this man health. He gave him life. He didn't just give him health. He gave him life. What then did Jesus tell him to do? Well, all of Israel still operated under the law of Moses. So the man needed to go through the prescribed procedures to be declared clean and restored by the priest. So Jesus instructed him to go do that, to go and fulfill the law and tell no one what he had done. He could then return home with the full sanction of all of Israel's authorities. Why did Jesus tell him to tell no one? Well, his aim was to keep the people from getting whipped up into a messianic fervor and also to keep the religious leaders from being stoked in their hatred of him. But a crowd had observed everything that happened and word continued to spread throughout the land, which led to even greater crowds of people seeking him out. And so we see Jesus took time to go aside and pray, to get away from the crowds so that messianic fervor wasn't stoked. Now, the blessing of this passage, this first part of the passage that we want to focus upon, brothers and sisters, is indeed the heart of Christ for the untouchables. We see here that no one is so unclean to Jesus that they could be rejected by him. When we cry out in faith, he will take hold of us. He will respond by granting us healing and forgiveness and life beyond our wildest imagination. I mean, look to Jesus and consider how he did this over and over again. As we work through the book of Luke, we are going to see this over and over again. Jesus wasn't just about restoring people's temporal health. He literally was giving people their lives back. He was not only rolling back the physical effects of sin, he was rolling back the spiritual, the relational aspects of sin under which his people suffered. Over and over again, our Savior in his compassion, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, would touch the outcast, would touch the untouchable. To demonstrate the power and the compassion of God. Brothers and sisters, our Savior 
continues this work even today, especially in spiritual terms. If you cry out to Jesus, he will respond by granting you healing and forgiveness and life beyond your wildest imagination. And the wonder of it all is that while the law, while the Jewish law said that anyone who touched a leopard would become unclean, nothing could make Jesus unclean. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. John Calvin, reflecting on this passage, said, There is such purity in Christ that he absorbs all pollution and uncleanness. He does not contaminate himself by touching the leper, nor does he transgress the law. He stays whole. He clears all our dirt away. And he pours upon us his own holiness. Isn't that the wonder of wonders, brothers and sisters? In spiritual terms, you and I have leprosy. In spiritual terms, left to ourselves, we are rotten. We are dying. We are foul with the corruptions of the flesh. And yet our Savior touches us, not, coming, not becoming unclean by our uncleanliness, but no, He touches us, absorbing all our pollution, all our corruption, all of our sin, thereby making us whole and granting us His holiness. This is the gospel. If you are here within the sound of my voice, know that whatever sin you have committed, whatever it is that separates you from the holiness of God, Jesus can make you clean. He will touch you. He will embrace you. He will make himself one with you so that you will know the forgiveness, the grace, the presence, the glory of Jesus Christ yourself. That then takes us to the authority of Christ to forgive sins. The authority of Christ to forgive sins. As we move into verse 17, Luke shares another excerpt with us from this early period of ministry. Jesus was continuing to teach and heal in the region of Galilee. And he had grown so popular that some Pharisees and teachers of the law had traveled from all over Israel to behold for themselves the ministry of Christ. They were hearing him teach. They were seeing the power of God to heal on full display. Well, that day as Jesus was teaching in a house, some very dedicated men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were hoping to set him before Jesus so that he could be healed. But as I said, Jesus was teaching inside a house and the crowds were so closely packed around him in an effort to hear him that there was no way that anyone was going to make it through that crowd carrying a bed. Well, these men were carrying what was most likely a loved one. And they had strong faith that Jesus could do it. And so they would not be deterred. Houses at this time had flat roofs that were accessed by external stairways. You see, in, in Middle Eastern society at that time, rooftops provided a cool place for families to relax in the mornings and evenings. And so when they built a house with its characteristic flat roof, they built an external stairway so you could go up and sit up there in the evenings and the mornings in the coolness. Well, the men carried their friend up on the roof, and when they got to the rooftop, they began to tear up the tiles and the dried mud and the supports in order to make a hole big enough to lower their friend through. 
Now you can just imagine Jesus down below beginning to look up as pieces of the ceiling began to fall down upon him and in front of him and maybe even on the people that were gathered around him. The crowd composed of religious leaders and others would have also been looking up and wondering, what in the world is going on here? After a time, the hole was big enough and the men lowered the bed that held the paralytic right down in front of Jesus. How did our Savior respond? Verse 20, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, in saying this, Christ was not confirming the wrong view that this man's paralysis was God's punishment for sin. He was simply addressing himself to the man's greatest need. Ultimately, all suffering in this world is due to sin, and God does indeed punish sin. But we should always be very cautious about calling a specific illness or a specific disaster an act of God's judgment or discipline. Instead, we should allow any affliction, any pain, any hardship to drive us to Christ for the forgiveness and grace that we all ultimately need. No doubt the man and his friends thought that physical healing was the greatest need of the hour. Most of us today, upon reading this account, would say the same thing. We'd look at it and say, well, yeah, I mean, he's, the guy's so paralyzed, he has to have four other people carry him around on a bed. And so if the story stopped right here, we would feel like this guy was somehow cheated, wouldn't we? Like, okay, Christ forgave his sin, but just kind of overlooked his paralysis. His outer need got skipped. But that's the critical truth we're meant to see here, brothers and sisters. You see, healings and exorcisms and feeding thousands of people, those were not the first priorities of Jesus' ministry. Going to the cross to accomplish the redemption of man and proclaiming the good news of his kingdom, those were Jesus' first priorities. And this teaches us something, doesn't it? This reminds us that what we often think is our greatest need is not truly our greatest need. What we often think is our greatest need is not truly our greatest need. Something like paralysis or a natural disaster or divorce or marital problems or a rebellious child or, or death or disease or financial ruin. When we get into those situations, we think this is our greatest need, but that's not it. Those things are what should lead us to seek Christ out. Because what's our greatest problem? The greatest problem of humanity has always been and will always be our sin. And thus the greatest need of humanity has always been and will always be forgiveness. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus died to secure our forgiveness. Think of our Savior Consider how Jesus humbled himself and came and took on human flesh. He left the glory of heaven to come and live among us and to be even mistreated by his own people so that we who have so grievously sinned against him could be forgiven through him. 
Jesus ministered all these years teaching and setting before his people the truth, but the majority of them were hard-hearted and would not receive it. And yet still he went to the cross as God's perfect sacrifice for sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died in our place. And by the grace and power of God rose again. So, brothers and sisters, that we might know forgiveness. That is the beauty of what we see our Savior demonstrating here. And it is a reminder to us that Jesus has not come to fix all the problems of our lives that we seem to be so consumed with. Jesus has come to fix our ultimate problem, which is our sinful nature, our depraved nature. He has come to redeem us out of our sin, to set us free from slavery to sin, so that we might be sons and daughters of righteousness, so that we might know forgiveness in His name. Now, as we move on to verse 21, we see the reaction of those who are nearby listening, right? Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, this is what's interesting. In one sense, the scribes and Pharisees were absolutely correct. Only God can forgive sin because all sin is first and foremost against him. Remember what David said in Psalm 51.4, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned, right? So in one sense, they were right. But in another sense, they were absolutely wrong for failing to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the anointed God in the flesh. The scribes and Pharisees, they knew the scriptures, but they did not know the God of the scriptures when he was standing right in front of them. They were too wrapped up in their own self-righteousness to, to appreciate and realize the miracle of divine forgiveness that was displayed right in front of them. And look in the text, Jesus didn't even need to hear them, their question because he perceived their thoughts. And he would not allow their self-righteous estimations of him and his work to go unconfronted. So look there with me at verse 22. He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. We see from Jesus' response that the religious leaders were falling into a trap created by their own perspective. As I noted earlier, they believed and taught that specific human suffering and disease were the result of God's judgment and punishment of sin. And yet here was a man in their midst who regularly and powerfully could undo the curse of sin. He had already healed hundreds of sick, leprous, blind, demon-possessed people. As they themselves had witnessed, Jesus was the one who had absolute authority and power over the effects of sin. He did that which only God could do. He spoke of himself in the first person with an authority that only God could speak with. Remember how he would teach, you have heard it said, thus and such, but I say to you. 
So Jesus touched and healed with the power of God. He taught with the authority of God. And therefore, if the religious leaders were being consistent with their own perspective, they would have to believe that Jesus likewise possessed the power and authority of God himself to deal with sin. That is the very reality that Jesus was pointing to with his questions in verse 23. So understand this, brothers and sisters. Think about this. For God, saying that your sins are forgiven is no more difficult than saying, rise up and walk. Right? The divine authority by which Jesus forgave sins was the same divine authority by which he healed people. He could do both with the same divine ease. And so he did. First, he told the paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven. And then he healed the paralyzed man, thereby proving the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. They were accusing him of blasphemy in their hearts. But it is they who were blaspheming God by thinking evil of God's Messiah. By refusing to acknowledge God's work being done by God's Son. Brothers and sisters, that's a trap that any of us can easily be caught in. I ask you to think with me of your own Christian life. Have you ever had a time in your life where you thought you knew better than God? The answer is, of course, yes, because that's the heart of what we're thinking every time we sin. We're thinking, I know better what I need or what needs to happen in this situation. I know better than God, so I'm going to handle it this way. All of us fall into this trap of thinking we know better than God. All of us struggle with sometimes being in places where we rely on our own perceptions and understandings. And when we do, we completely miss the work of God that is going on right before our eyes. But do you know what the good news is for even us? That the blood of our Savior atones even for people who are prideful and arrogant to think they know better than God. The blood of Jesus covers a people even who rely more on their own understanding rather than upon God's understanding. The beautiful truth of the grace of Jesus Christ is that all of us, though we deserve His wrath and punishment, He has seen fit in His grace to draw us near. And even those roots of pride that remain in our lives, our Savior even now is working with the truth of His Word to dig into that soil of our hearts, to yank up those remaining roots, to make us holy in His sight. His forgiveness covers us even now. And that is what we are meant to marvel at, brothers and sisters. We are to marvel at the forgiveness of Christ, for that is our only hope. Our only hope. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 reminds us, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Just like the paralytic, we have had the forgiveness of Jesus Christ lavished upon us. 
And the right response, brothers and sisters, is for us to draw near in love for him. Don't don't recoil from the Savior. Savior, Don't don't ever think that you are a spiritual leper that is so rotten, that is so unclean, that you somehow make yourself unable and unworthy in the sight of Christ. The truth of the matter is you're unworthy no matter what. It is Christ who is worthy. And it is Christ who makes us worthy. It is Christ who grants us forgiveness if we but run to him. Indeed, brothers and sisters, it is even the grace of Christ that gives us feet to run to him. He is our hope. That takes us to the final thing we see in this text, the the glory of Christ in conquering hardened hearts. Pick up with me there at verse 24. And immediately the paralytic rose up before them. He picked up what what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. As with all the healings performed by Jesus, the effect was immediate. The man who just moments before had to be lowered down on a bed now stood right up in front of everybody, picked up his bed and went home glorifying God. And when the people saw what Christ had done in forgiving the man's sins, correcting the religious leaders, and then healing the man of his paralysis, it says they were filled with awe. This word awe is one that we encounter often in the Gospels. It's sometimes translated as fear or fright. But in contexts like this one, it also denotes a reverential awe, as in what you feel in the presence of infinite superiority. That's what the people experienced in the glorious presence of Christ that day. The people were awestruck. And as a result, they erupted in praise to God, glorifying Him for the extraordinary things that they had seen in and through Jesus. And notice that it says, amazement seized them all. It seized them all. Does this mean that every single one of them, without exception, was amazed and struck with awe? Even the religious leaders? It could. I mean, just imagine with me if Nicodemus or Joseph of Arimathea happened to be there as witnesses that day. Maybe they were some of the scribes and Pharisees who came to see and to hear Jesus And what if what they saw that day is what helped set them on the course of faith in the Savior? Imagine on this day how Christ's own disciples were moved in their hearts, not only by seeing their master heal a paralyzed man, but to hear their master forgive someone's sins. Here we see The deity of Christ on display, brothers and sisters. And we are reminded through passages like this one of the beauty of the forgiveness that we receive through simple faith. We are enabled, we are set free to rejoice and to glorify the Lord because his forgiveness sets us free. Guilt is never again to have a lasting hold on the believer We too are bid to glorify him for how we have been pronounced clean in Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this so well. He said, 
We are today accepted in the beloved, today absolved from sin, today acquitted at the bar of God. We are now pardoned. Even now, our sins are put away. Even now, we stand in the sight of God, accepted as though we had never been guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is not a sin in the book of God, even now, against one of his people. Who dares to lay anything to their charge? There is neither speck nor spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing remaining upon any one believer in the matter of justification in the sight of the judge of all the earth. Praise be to God, brothers and sisters. This is what has been done in us and for us by our glorious Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Acts 10.43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so, brothers and sisters, as we behold our Savior, as we see his power not only to heal but to forgive, may we draw near to him, knowing that that forgiveness extends to the uttermost. If you are his child, it does not matter how foul you may, how foully you may corrupt yourself. You shall be, you are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And like the people who were there that day, as we glory in his grace and forgiveness, we have the privilege of going forth and telling others of these extraordinary things. As Philip Graham Ryken said, his healing compassion is not just for you, but also for the people you love well enough to bring to him. Your hands are the hands God uses to reach out to people no one else is willing to touch. Your arms are the arms he uses to carry people to Christ. Your voice is the voice he uses to sing his glorious praise. So as those who are blessed to know and receive his forgiveness... May we go forth proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. This now leads us to the table of our Lord, brothers and sisters. The Lord's table is, is a tangible expression of the fact that our forgiveness has been secured perfectly for us through Jesus Christ. This is a foretaste of the fact that we are bid welcome at the marriage feast of the Lamb and there we will sup for all eternity. It is not we ourselves that could be worthy to come to this table. No, we come to this table because Jesus Christ is worthy because His body and blood have been given so that we could be welcomed in God's sight. And so let us prepare our hearts. There may be some of us as brothers and sisters who are here even now struggling with a great weight of sin, but know that Jesus Christ struggles with you and for you and in you. He who began a good work in you will see it completed. And so as you look to Christ, 
however broken you may feel, come to this table and be reminded again of the compassion and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know and experience the love that he lavishes upon you, go and sin no more, precious child. If you're here today and you are not a believer in Christ, we want you to understand that as an unbeliever, you are separated from God. You are not welcome to his table. You are at this moment described as a child of wrath. But please know and hear as I've preached this morning, if you will but turn and believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be welcome to this table. But if you are not yet at that place of faith today, honor the Lord and allow these elements to pass by. Help your children who have not yet come to that place to allow these elements to pass by. But if you are His, come and feast on all that Christ is for you. Let us prepare our hearts, brothers and sisters, and let our table servants please come forward now.